We're going to be in Revelation chapter 15 and 16 today. We're not going to finish 16, I don't think anyway. Uh, at least I don't plan to, unless I really get ahead of myself. But you're going to need your scriptures in front of you. I'm also going to read the first verse of chapter 1, uh, Lord willing. And uh, we'll take it from there. Well, Lord, we do need your, your presence with us. We know we can't, I know I can't speak without you, so I pray that you would help me. But I also pray that you would open all of our ears to the message that's in front of us. Many times we read this book and we get discouraged and frightened and we look at the end and we think, oh my, this is terrible. But we know, Father, that you have a plan to protect your people. And we know, Father, that you know who belongs to you. So our prayer, Father, is that you just walk with us now through these times that we're in as we study towards the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 of chapter 15 reads, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. You know, I've shared with, this, with, you, with, this, shared with you this before. I've shared this with you before. There's a sentence in there somewhere. What? A pen? You got one? Uh and I, I've had one vision in my life. I've had two that I, healings that, were, that I was aware of. I probably had a million healings that I'm unaware of. Two that were instantaneous and that I was aware of. And I've had one vision in my life. And, and the vision came to me in clips. It came to me in pictures. Uh, pictures that I could feel. Now I say that to say when you go all the way back to chapter 1 and verse 1, and you read the first verse, you will see the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him, God the Father gave to Jesus the Son, to show unto his servants, that's to John, who's going to show it to us. So we got from God the Father to God the Son to John the Apostle to us. All right, directly from God the Father to us. All right, the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it, the King James reads, by his angel unto his servant, John, by his messenger, who was Jesus, we know from the first verse, to his servant John. Now, the point that I'm trying to make here is everything that we've been studying here came to John in pictures, pictures that he could see, feel, and smell. He could see it happening in front of his eyes. The words may not have necessarily been given to him uh, how to describe what he saw, so we're kind of at a loss to figure out exactly what he did see. But the fact is he saw this. God the Father gave Jesus a series of visions who handed them on to John who tried to write them. Now this last sign, this last vision that we're looking at today connects with the woman and the dragon in chapter 12. So we, we see this, this uh, issue of the woman giving birth to the son, Satan himself attempting to destroy the, destroy the son, unable to destroy the son, he attempts to destroy all of the woman's uh, ancestry, all of Israel. Uh, many times Satan has set out to destroy Israel. There's one final time. We saw in this book how God would protect the remnant of Israel during the tribulation period. Satan would then go after uh, the, the remaining tribulation saints. The church has been raptured out. All that's left are are people who had rejected Christ but had come to become believers during the tribulation period, and we call them tribulation saints. You know, people have wondered for years, 
centuries, millennia, actually, why does God put up with the mess that we have here? Why does he put up with us? Why doesn't he just wipe us off the face of the earth? Why doesn't he just take all the sinners and just wipe them off the face of the earth? Of course, you know, the simple answer to that is, if he wipes all the sinners off the face of the earth, he wipes us too, because we're all sinners. And without the blood of Christ, no one will stand in his presence. But the, the, the answer that people have asked for millennia is going to be answered. At least the answer begins, I can't say it ends today, but it begins today. We're at the final series of judgments at the end of the age. You know, the disciples asked Jesus, what, what would be the sign of your coming? And, and at the end of the age, the age of humanity is about to end in this chapter. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now, this perspective is from heaven. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast, that's the, the tribulation saints who stood up against Satan and ended up getting killed themselves, and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass having harps of gold. Now, on the earth, back in the beginning, when Israel was first called out, they had a brass bowl. They called it a laver, sometimes called a golden laver. Uh, uh, laver is not a word I use. It means a basin or a vase. It was a place where they could fill it with water. And in Exodus chapter 30 and verse 18, the priests were told that that's where they would go to wash. Now for the church, it's a little bit different because we're told that the word of God, that we're washed by the word of God in Ephesians 5 and 26, but the washing is still there. Now, of course, we're all cleansed in the blood of Christ and, and the water cleansing that you see in this golden laver, this uh, in, in, in heaven, in the throne room, it's actually going to be a sea. It's going to be a, uh, a large uh, area where all those saints are able to stand. And uh, that is going to represent the cleansing of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to the world, it looked like these tribulation saints were losers. And as they went to their death, the world laughed at them and mocked them, even though all the time the saints were attempting to reach out and to tell the lost world how they could be saved. All the world said of them was that they were painful and deluded losers. But here, in verse 2, they stand victorious before the God of the universe. They are in the throne room of God. They are standing on the sea. This, this, uh, this, this basis of our cleansing becomes our foundation. We stand on the cleansing of Christ. Now we're cleansed by the blood, so you could easily say we're standing on the blood. See, so we have this, this image here of these tribulation saints standing on this sea of glass. And uh, this sea of glass, however, is mingled with fire. And I, I, I sense that the fire is judgment. They're seeing something the world will see and understand one day. And that is this. The basis of our cleansing is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He shed his blood for all of us. His shed blood, which offers us forgiveness now, will in the end become the basis of judgment. And that's why this sea of glass is mingled with fire. Judgment is coming. And one day the world will be judged based on what they did with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That day, the only thing will matter is not how much money we've made or how nice of a house we lived in or what country we come from or what ethnicity we are. All that will matter is what did you do with Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? The world will see them as throwing away their lives. But in this verse, we see what Jim Elliott said, that he is no fool. 
to give up that which he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. If you die for Christ in the tribulation and you gain everything. You lose everything on this earth and you gain everything in heaven. Verse 3, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are their works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are their ways, Thou King of saints. And my only note on this is instead of complaining about the terribly difficult lives they had, they're singing praises to God because they understand that God's ways are best. We have to find a way as we go through this life, pain and all, problems and all, difficulties, diseases, sickness, ill health, we have to find a way where we come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Who shall not fear Thee, O Lord, and glorify Thy name? For Thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before Thee, for Thy judgments are made manifest. Right now in our world today, it seems like no one is afraid of God. Our world denies His Word. Our world rejects His Messiah, His Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. And our world today dares to judge the God who is the judge of all the earth. But when this, these chapters are finally done, in the next two weeks, the world will stand before God and all that foolishness will stop. Verse 5, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony of heaven was open. I looked, and the door in the throne room was open. All right. And the seven angels came out of the temple having seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having on their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts... Now, really, to call these cherubim beasts is somewhat offensive. And the translation Zoe should probably mean created beings of the four created beings. I, I think that King James got the idea of beasts when they read the description of these guys and words could not describe what they looked like. So they couldn't figure out, man, they must be horrible looking. I don't think they are. I think they're probably beautiful. And I think words just failed John when he went to describe them. Ezekiel as well, who saw them as well. And one of the four created beings gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials. These are broad, shallow bowls, all right, full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. These are the last judgments, and they come directly from the throne room of God. They're handed over from the four created beings, the cherubim, directly to seven mighty angels. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no man was able to enter unto the temple. I've always said that the door was closed for salvation. Actually, I don't think there is a door, but there was so much fire and smoke in there, no one dared go in there, till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Now, I believe access to the throne is cut off. And in saying that, I believe at this point, grace ends. There'll be no more petitions coming up to the throne room of God. God has closed Himself off. Jesus said, I am the door, but now the door is closed. The day of salvation is past. And the point that I'd like to make is it's possible to wait too long. It's possible to wait till there's no longer an opportunity to be saved. It's possible in this life because we could just grab our chest one day and fall over dead. And our chances are gone. But the time will come for the entire world when the day of salvation is past. It'll be too late to call on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also like what Chuck Messler said about this. Chuck Messler said he closed the door and went into the throne room because he wanted to suffer alone because he takes no pleasure in the death of the lost. And God does not want people to see him mourning what he has to do here. He's not happy about this. 
And I think that's true as well. I do think so. the day of salvation is past, but I do think God is mourning what He has to do. I don't think He enjoys what's coming next. Verse 1, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Now I'm assuming that's the Father's voice giving the final command that now is the time the final judgments are to come. Now, as you know, they're in groups of seven. These are the seven final ones. We're going to look at just three. I'm sorry. We're going to look at four. Yeah, we're going to look at four. There's four judgments that are poured out on all the earth, and then there's three more judgments that are poured out on the kingdom of the Antichrist. And we'll look at them next week. And uh, fortunately, the week after that, just prior to Christmas, we'll look at the second advent. So the timing works out pretty good, Lord willing. Verse 2, chapter 16. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. You know, we're worried about this new vaccine. They're coming up with this RNA-based vaccine turning us into weird-looking things like little shrunken heads and an extra arm growing out. We, you know, who knows? Grow a monkey tail. We don't know what this vaccine's going to do. But we know here, we know that if we take the mark of the beast, first of all, it's going to send us to hell. But secondly, we're going to die with a terrible infection because it'll be at the point of that mark that we get that, that infection. Now, Now, the word there... Uh, the word there, grievous sore, means a spuriated wound. And if you don't know what that means, it means it's oozing pus. These are infected, painful, pus-filled, fatal sores. And it appears only on those that have the mark. However, you know, you say, well, is it only at the mark? Well, you know, some people will say, well, that's not literal. That's a spiritual judgment. But you know, this same thing happened in Egypt. And interestingly enough, that in, uh, in Egypt, these, these plagues were paralleled. And in Egypt, these were real sores. And these guys, were they, they had real sores break out. And it wasn't just at one point in their body. It was all over their body. These guys are going to be in misery until the end finally comes. And then they're really going to be in misery. Verse 3. And the second angel pulled out his vial upon the sea. That's the world's oceans, if you will. And it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. Now, throughout the book of the Revelation, the unveiling, the apocalypse, if you will, apocalypse means unveiling, throughout the unveiling of who Jesus really is, God has taken measured steps. So he's worked in quarters and he's worked in thirds, but the days of measured steps are over, and now all the sea is become blood, and everything in the sea is dead. We lived in Chattanooga for a while, and there was a little uh, park that we went to, and it had a pond. The pond really wasn't much bigger than the footprint of this church. It was deep, and it was a great place to fish, and I never caught anything. And I, we'd go down there, and we'd picnic, and we'd fry our chicken, and the dog would swim in this little pond. And we had a good time. And one time we went down there, and, and the, the fish and wildlife had come in, and something had gotten into that pond that was bad, and they had to kill all the fish in the pond, sweep them out, clean out the water, and then restock them. So this pond that I'd said for a year had no fish in it, I went down there, and they had killed all the fish, and you couldn't even see water. It was just fish everywhere. It was just wall-to-wall, -wall, I mean, bank-to-bank -bank solid. There were millions of fish in this little pond, which speaks well of my fishing capabilities. And, uh, and I thought, holy cow, can you imagine what the ocean is going to look like? What the ocean is going to smell like when every living thing in the sea dies. Can you imagine that? Some argue this is a red tide, which is a bacteria that gets in shellfish and kills fish and shellfish alike. 
But you know, in Egypt, it was blood. Well, some will say, well, how can God turn the sea into blood? Well, how can God call light out of darkness? How can God turn dust into a human being? I mean, if you have trouble with God turning the sea into blood, how, how could we even be alive and believe in God? Some ask, how can God do this? You're asking the wrong question. The real question is, why would God do this? God can do anything He wants to do. Verse 4, And a third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers. I'm going to get to why he would do it in just a minute. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters. This is the fresh water. First he, first he polluted two-thirds of our planet as ocean. All blood. Undrinkable, unserviceable, unusable, and nothing to eat. That's the greatest source of food in our world. Now he's going to, on chapter, uh, sorry, verse 4, he's going to pour out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and all the fresh water will become blood. Just like Egypt, judgment of God on the fresh water, and they had nothing to drink, just as it was then. It is as if the angel is shocked when you go to read verse 5. He, he, he pours it out and he goes, oh, oh my. And the, I heard the angel of the waters say, thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and was and shall be, because thou hast judged us. For they have shed the blood of saints and of prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another voice out of the altar say, and I think this is Jesus, but you know, I'm just picking that idea out of thin air, but I do think this is Jesus that said that. I heard another out of the altar say, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. True and righteous are your judgments. Verse 8. And the fourth angel poured out his vial. I do believe, you know, I'm reading this kind of quick, and I do believe this is going to happen kind of quickly. I think we're right at the end now. I don't, I don't, I think we're months from the great white throne judgment at this point. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Now, some say, oh, that's a supernova. Supernova. Our, our sun is just going to explode into a supernova, and it's just going to burn people up. Others say, no, no, this is a nuclear disaster, a worldwide nuclear explosion, knocking the earth out of its orbit. And it certainly could be. It certainly could be. But God doesn't need that help from us. God can do whatever he wants to do. He can turn up the sun. He can turn down the sun. However he does it, it's going to get very, very hot. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. It is as if God is giving mankind, not us, we're going to be in the, uh, we'll be up there with the marriage supper of the Lamb and interceding for the tribulation saints, and we'll be watching what's going on in the throne room from a distance. But it's as if God is giving mankind a preview of hell itself. Nothing to eat, nothing to drink, unbearable heat, and infected sores all over. It's amazing, we would think, you know, that the world would cry out to Jesus. And they would cry out in repentance, but their hearts are hard as stones by now. Salvation is past. These guys have made their decision. I remember one time dropping in with a couple of guys and we were trying to witness to some guys that were members of another we would call it a cult. They wouldn't. Uh, and as we left, one guy said to me, you know, it's, it's hard to sell a vacuum cleaner to a vacuum cleaner salesman. And, and that's the way the world's going to be. They've got their own mind made up, and they're not going to listen to anything you say. And after a while, you just got to stop telling them. You got to shake the dust off of your feet, and you got to walk away from them. No matter how bad things got, 
they repented not. Imagine a global heat wave where just going outside will burn your skin. Imagine a global heat wave where there's no ocean or fresh water to bathe in. There's no fresh water to drink. Hal Lindsey made the comment 40 years ago, and the Coca-Cola's going to run out pretty quick. There's no food to eat. The grass has all been burned up. The cattle are all dead. The oceans are uninhabitable. There's no food to eat. I can't imagine what life would be. You know, I, I have to imagine that I would cry out to God, God, I am so sorry. I'm an idiot. Forgive me, for I have sinned. I laid in bed and did that 50 years ago without having to go through all of this. Thank God. God gave me repentance. You know, it's a gift of God. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for the pain. Now these first four judgments, and actually I'm, I'm linking when I say that the two blood judgments as one. These first four judgments are on all of mankind. All of, the, those, all of those left in the world at this point have sores all over their body. They have nothing but blood to drink. They're dealing with scorching heat. And now there's a darkness that's so dark it causes them pain. Now the darkness in Egypt was so dense. In Exodus chapter 10 and verse 21, the scripture says you could feel it. You know, one of the descriptions of hell is intense heat. But another description of hell is outer darkness, where you are utterly and absolutely, fundamentally and completely alone. So alone that it causes you pain. So cut off from other humans, so terribly alone that it causes pain. That's what they are experiencing. It's actually a taste of hell before they get there. Will they repent? Look at verse 11. And blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. You know, I remember at one point in the scriptures reading the phrase, whose judgment is just. Our world would get itself in such a spiritual condition that repentance will become impossible. They have made their decision. Years ago, I tried to witness to my aunt from Florida Laura was her name, Laura Willis. And I, I, it took me a while to work up my courage to, to, to witness to this elder in my family, this highly respected and wealthy person in my family. And when I finally worked up the courage to share with her the plan of salvation, to my surprise, she says, oh, Bobby, I know I'm going to hell. And I thought, how can people say that sentence? And she said, I made that decision years ago, years ago. And I, Aunt Laura, I don't understand. If, if God is offering you the free pardon of your sins, why not accept it? Why? I mean, all you have to do is repent and pray. No, she said, I made that decision years ago. I know I'm going to hell. I think, what type of insanity is that? I have never heard that she died. But since she was in her 80s 50 years ago, there's a good chance she's not with us anymore. You know, when I first heard the gospel, I was reading Hal Lindsey's book. And although it seemed unrealistic to me that God would allow his son to die in my place. I mean, there was this sort of this sense of how can this be? 
it was clear in scriptures how paints it out near the end of his book, The Late Great Planet Earth. He does a beautiful job of presenting the gospel. And as I read the scriptures and as he explained them to me, I thought, well, this this is a no-brainer. I mean, you, you exchange your sin and your disease and your filth for freedom and eternal life in Christ. And all you have to do is admit you're a sinner. That was never a problem for me. I... I my problem was I could never do anything right. Not that I, I, you know, it wasn't that I didn't do anything wrong. I could never do anything right. And maybe that's the beginning of repentance. I don't know, but thank God for that. I had no problem saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. And, you know, my prayer was the opposite of a believer's prayer. I said, if you really killed Jesus for me to make it possible that I could come into your presence and, Lord, let his death be for me, let it be true. What a simple, I can't imagine that everyone in the world wouldn't pray that prayer. All I had to do was confess my sinfulness and ask for forgiveness. How easy is that? And where's the downside? Why would anyone resist? I remember George Jackson would talk about, people talk about what they have to give up. You have to give up this and you have to give up that. And he said, yeah, I had to give up a Ford and God gave me a Cadillac. You know, I had to give up a sharecropper's life in Mississippi and God gave me a profession. You know. I had to give a life alone, give up life alone, and God gave me a family and children. How in the, what are we giving up when we follow Christ? We're giving up nothing. We're getting everything. We're getting the King of the universe. What an amazing story the plan of salvation is. Well, I put on page five. This may be a good place to stop, and I think it is. We'll, we'll, we'll watch the world system be destroyed next week and hail the second coming of Christ the week after that. Father, thank you for this time together. Help us, Father, to see clearly, clearly, clearly the truth that your Son died for us. And give us, Father, great grace that we might share that truth with others. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.